Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, and we're recording for Contrarian's Corner. The year was 1962. The book was green. Vigo Mortensen was Italian. What more could you ask for? Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name, of course, is Alex, and joined, as always, by Julio. Julio, we've been in quite a journey on this uh, sunny Sunday afternoon. Oh, dude, I've, I'm, I'm running on maybe half an hour of sleep since... Two o'clock yesterday. Jeez. But I I started my official Sunday with Infinity War at six thirty, followed by Avengers Endgame at ten a.m. And then this brutally devastating <laughs> attack on racism at uh, what two thirty maybe somewhere <laughs> around Green there. Book. I and, can imagine uh, the hours for you are blurring together at this point. Yeah, it it's it doesn't help that you know both movies have main characters named Tony. So Tony Lip, Tony Stark, it's just, it's a blur. I know one of them is a good guy and the other one has a suit of armor. (laughs) So uh, being that this is a 78% here on the Contrarians where we typically rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, uh, this doesn't really fall under the good or bad category. So are we considering this a bonus episode? Yes. I mean, we're definitely raging. Yes. And uh for both parts of this. Yes. It's it's also our unofficial finale to the to the awards. That's arc. right. That's the way it so, was structured here. That's how we landed here. That's okay. <laughs> you the, thought that Birdman was our us leaving on a high note, but nope. It was it was just a little bit more. We went from one best picture winner to another, the most re- recent best picture winner here in Green Book. Um and being that it is a bonus episode of finale, you know, and also the subject matter here, we have a special guest on our podcast joining us. Once again, making his triumphant return is Eddie, uh, who actually was kind enough to lend us his copy of Green Book to, to watch on this. The actual basically. Green Book. Cause he, like, yeah. the, the Eddie Strait uh, Green Book to fine dining and, uh, <laughs> and hotel. And this is a movie that Eddie is extremely passionate about. So We are in the South. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me back. I've, I've been... I've been looking forward to this day and dreading it for a while, so I'm ready for it. Well, it was my first time watching it. Eddie and Julio had both seen it previously, so there's a lot to cover here. How many times have you seen it, Eddie? Two, officially. (laughs) I guess we're about the same, then. So, yeah, the Best Picture winner, uh, directed by Peter Farley, written by Peter Farley, Brian Haynes, Curry, and Nick Vallelonga. I assume that's... Tony's son? son Yeah. Tony. Okay, just to make sure he nailed all the mannerisms. So, our story, Green Book, here centers around Tony Lip, Tony Vallelonga, who is a bouncer at the Copacabana. Is that as best I could describe what it is he does? More or less. It's a man of uh, of many talents. Jack of all trades. Master of none. (laughs) 
dangerously Italian. Uh, it, the movie starts at the club, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes. Well, it starts with uh, inspired by a true story, okay. which is code for this is not a true story at all. We twisted a lot of this that you're about to see. Uh, yeah. He's a bouncer. He quickly gets into a fight. There's some subplot of him hustling for money on the side where he pays off the uh, coat girl to get some rich dude's hat just so he can return it to him later for more money. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's how you know that he's 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 got street smarts. I was jumping right into it. I know. Julio, I just realized. Yeah, Julio's <laughs> giving me the signal over there. I forgot. We got to get like, to hey, our. We have a phone here. Our, uh, we haven't even explained what Contrarian's Corner is. I'm sorry. Just, I was just ready to jump right into just, this. The rage is seething. I just see. I just see. Eddie here trembling. Can't wait to jump in. So while Julio pulls that up, for those of you who maybe have never listened before and are just on a green book binge for whatever reason right now, (laughs) here in The Contrarians, like I said, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Typically, we find a movie that's highly ranked in the fresh category, make a case for it being bad, or a fairly rotten film, make a case for it being good. In this case, uh, wrapping up our award season arc that we had, uh, making a little bit of an exception. 78 is still pretty high, and you don't get much higher... Higher praise than winning the Best Picture Oscar, so there's a lot to be had here. But Best launching, screenplay. launching into it, we do uh, typically go over some quotes from some critics. All right. Rotten Tomatoes provides us with some quotes, starting with uh, Jack Blackwell from One Room with a View. He says, a funny, touching, and uncynical road movie with an infectiously jubilant lead duo. It's a total knockout. But a beam. I think that quote's on the DVD box. <laughs> a total knockout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pablo A. Schultz from Clarín says, It's what the Americans have called crowd-pleasing, which is not at all bad per se. Full review in Spanish. Uh, Matt Neal from ABC Radio Australia says, Did Green Book deserve the best film Oscar? The short answer is no. The longer answer is no, but it's still a great movie. (laughs) My my guy. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Mark Jackson from the Epoch Times says, Sometimes life is stranger than art. Sometimes art imitates life. And sometimes life imitates art. If life starts imitating hopeful art, that's uplifting. That's the goal of art, as I see it. Green Book uplifts. (laughs) That's like a tongue twister. (laughs) Yeah, it took a scenic route to get to the fucking point there. (laughs) I liked it. Five stars. Or did I? (laughs) The point is. Life. All right. So... So where were we? Tony Lip, bouncer at a bar, or a Copacabana, excuse me. Uh, clearly a swindler on the side for extra cash. He doesn't work for the mob, but it becomes painfully apparent he has mob ties. Oh, yeah. He he very obviously wanted to uh, to uh, be in the Henry Hill role and just couldn't get it, and they shut it, cast him aside for this. But he's not trying to do a, a Ray Liotta. I mean, this is, this is uh, Vigo. Going for De Niro, this we had a little discussion Vigo about hosting we... Saturday Night Live, and they ask him to play Italian in a skit. Pretty much, it's this is um, back when when SNL they they once had a skit that was uh, it was making fun of the Carrie Diaries, and it was a TV show for like the Sopranos Diaries, <laughs> the high school years, the high school years. And this this is what he's playing. He he's aiming to be an adult playing a child. And then, like I commented, because Linda Cardellini is basically playing Edie Falco in the Sopranos, so. Uh, but he he's short tempered, you know. He's got a short fuse and eats a lot. Yeah, and doesn't he, say forget about it a single time. That was I know. Uh, so you know, not even he didn't even get that right. It's probably we the only get, cliche this movie avoids. As Eddie pointed out, when we were watching. We do get one use guys, <laughs> one <laughs> when he's paying off the fuzz. I mean, we did Donnie Brasco a while ago, and and Johnny Depp. 
I mean, he he went all in with the forget about it and the use guys and the. That's what's missing here is Mahershala uh, doing the Paul Giamatti from. <laughs> what's forget about it? <laughs> so yeah, the, we see off the bat what I was bringing up before we launched. Before I got way too far ahead of myself, is he he pays off a coat girl to get some dude's hat, some rich guy to take it back to him to get paid off for it. Long the. I'm assuming this is to establish that he's a swindler and will do anything to make a buck. Yes, because it doesn't come back at all. It doesn't really pay off. Right. It's just like he takes some money as a reward and then that's it. Uh, but the cope is closed. Within the I mean, first... it gets him into like a new job with that guy who like is going to keep him close now because he that's Tony right. did this favor. And he gets he to call him by his first like, name. Yeah, you dropped yeah. that mister. Yeah. And... Uh, the Copacabana is closed for whatever reason. I didn't catch it. They just put a poster up and Tony, oh, no, what am I going to do now? <laughs> Goodfellas good took over. <laughs> we, need, we have a better movie that needs to shoot here. So. They told him it's classy fries. And he has to go back and explain to his wife, uh, Linda Cardellini, which I didn't even catch her name in this. It doesn't matter. Dolores. Yeah, it's Dolores. Dear, dear, dear Dolores. Dolores. Excuse me. D-E-A-R. She has to explain, and they're poor, and there's just all these vagrants hanging around their their apartment constantly speaking Italian. <laughs> they're Italian families, Alex. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, and of course, the pa- the portrait is painted right off the bat that we're dealing with a racist son of a bitch here because there's two black gentlemen working on the floor in their kitchen. Uh, Dolores pours them both lemonade. He then takes the glasses they drink out of and throws them away. Yes. So throws that drives them. the point. Oh, well, subtle. No. Subtle. He throws them away in the world's tiniest kitchen trash can. <laughs> it does, and this is uh, after his, his buddies have been, I guess, giving you 60s racial slurs uh, for black people mm-hmm. in Italian. So it's not just that he is the racist Italian in there. Everybody oh, is a yeah, racist they Italian. Are. I mean, Dolores' dad is in there, and he's asking Tony, like, how could you leave my daughter alone with these guys here? These guys? You guys? No, the other guys. Which guys? Tony has to do whatever it can, whatever he can, excuse me, to make a buck. He goes down to the local watering hole or God knows what, and there's some guy named Fat Polly just because. And It's just a, like a little cafe. <laughs> <laughs> and bets him he can eat more hot dogs than him for 50 bucks, and Vigo Mortensen comes back and wins the 50 bucks because he ate 26 hot dogs. He's a hustler, baby. So th- a, f- a fat hustler. I think that there's two problems with the movie. One is just that it's bad, and then the other one is that it's just reprehensible. It just kind of reminds me of of the the Cam episode we did uh, a while ago, mm-hmm. where it's just one thing is the quality of the movie, and the other thing is what the movie's kind of telling you. And so this movie sets out to prove that, yeah, Viggo Mortensen, you know, he's racist, he's violent, he has mob ties. But he's not that bad. He's a big, lovable teddy bear. Right, you know, he ate 26 hot dogs for 50 bucks. He cares about his family. It, it, he's, like, carrying his son when he eats the hot dogs while smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's the portrait of 60s America right there. Dropping the N-word every now and then. Dude, yeah, so far in the movie, we're 15 minutes in, and all we've learned, he's poor, he's racist, he's looking for a job. He eats. He eats. No, that's where you. That's where Tony Lip begins. He eats, <laughs> and then when he's in between bites, he either smokes or says PG thirteen level racial slurs, <laughs> mixed in with a bunch of Italian stereotypes. But he see, just says like Vangu in between. You know, he basically. I'm pretty sure Vigo Mortensen watched like season three of Friends and just studied Joey the whole time. 
Give he, it an issue. He cusses in Italian. At least we're super, I mean, I'm assuming that that's what he was doing. I, I think it's just gibberish that they're hoping the audience will believe, will accept as Italian <laughs> racial slurs or Italian <laughs> profanities. Wins 50 bucks. He gets a call. Donna's dad was the guy who ran the Copacabana. Unrecognizable. How did you recognize him? Because he, he had the exact same cadence as Donna's I mean, dad. You guys called it like immediately. It was <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Pinciotti from that 70s show. Yes. I was like, who the fuck is Donna? <laughs> uh, but he calls him to tell him he, he turns him on to this job offer, right? Yeah, somebody him recommended him. Yeah, and so he goes and interviews for a driver's position with Mahershala Ali, who plays Dr. Don Shirley, who is the yin to the yang of Viggo Mortensen in this movie. Mahershala Ali, he actually won the Oscar, and I guess he had like the toughest job in a way because... His character's purpose in this movie is to make Viggo Mortensen look good. Mm-hmm. You know, let's establish this racist dude that's violent, that's not cultured. And now we're going to have this black guy who's going to actually make you sympathize with the with the racist guy <laughs> in 2018 America. And he interviews him for the job. He's letting him know it's for a driver's position. Someone needs to you know, shine his shoes, press his clothes, all that shit. And you can tell just by his mannerisms that Viggo views this as beneath him. I mean... I will eat 26 hot dogs, but I will not shine your shoes. Uh, and he just drops it, right? He's like, I'm getting out of here because he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, basically. I, I don't know. The movie might imply later that it was all part of his master plan mm-hmm. to get him to – because I think he asked for more money. And then he's like, if you, if you want to – His master plan to solve racism. Well, yeah. I, yeah. But but even like on a smaller scale – because at some point later, they're talking about how he's he's a, a con artist. And you know he's like – A bullshitter. Master yeah. Bullshitter. He's like, I'm used to – I can get people to do what they don't want to, like getting this job. That's right. So, yep. so maybe you know the movie's trying to tell you that he's smarter than than you think. But so we inter- we're introduced to that, and then we can't have him take the job right away. We have to build more sympathy for Vigo Mortensen to establish the hard times that he's on. He turns down the mob who's eating in like a fucking tent at a bar somewhere. He <laughs> goes at a Denny's. <laughs> yeah, something like he goes to you know. Joe and Joe's is what it's called. This could not get more like cliche New York if it tried. And he goes in and they're like, yeah, Moe and Fricky are eating over there. And he like moves this curtain back and they're like in this little bunker somewhere. And then they offer him a job, right? Yeah. They hear that uh, the guy that he, he got into a fight with someone at the beginning of the movie. And... They call him like Charlie the Hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, hey, you did, you did good job. A good job with Charlie the Hand when he got fresh with one of the waitresses or something. So. From now on, you sit with us. You sit with us, and if you want, if you need money, you let us know, and and we'll give you a job. And he's like, doing what? Stuff. <laughs> he turns him down, says, "No, I got my own gig going." Cut to him walking across the street to sell his watch for fifty bucks, and uh, it's then that um, Shirley calls his wife. Right, he calls him to ask if he can have him as a driver. Yeah, he has because they they needed something for Lena Cardellini to do other than react to how. How lovable Viggo Mortensen is. She so. just had to react on the phone. What? How long? <laughs> okay. That is really annoying, right? Because she is, the few minutes of screen time that she's had in the movie so far, it's been her worrying about their income. Mm-hmm. And then the moment that this guy <laughs> she gets offers mad a job. About it. <laughs> It's going to pay him more than anything else he can make currently. And she she does the thing where like she hangs up the phone and then she turns her back on, on Vigo. He was <laughs> like, Because they have to vilify the woman, yeah. Yeah. So he takes a job. 
He goes to pick up Mahershala Ali, you know, start off on their quest. Dr. Don Shirley is a pianist, a musician that is going on a tour of the country, specifically to the Deep South. Have so we mentioned he's black? If if we haven't, you know, I would hope that <laughs> some of the inflection here conveys that. He is a black pianist who is going on a musical tour of the country, specifically to the Deep South, so he needs someone that can be sure to get him from point A to point B. I think the movie did a pretty bad job of convincing me that this needed to be done. Other than so that Viggo Mortensen's character can experience some growth. I don't understand why Maharshala Ali felt the need to go on a tour of the South. Uh, especially because every time somebody was racist toward him, he acted like it was the first time. He, he was surprised that people in the South were racist. Yeah, he, he did seem taken aback. Even the people that were booking him still treated him like a second-class citizen. Also, I mean, we're in the South, but we're in Austin. So I really, I'm sure that anybody watching this here, they were like, oh, well, that's not us. But how do people in Mississippi feel I mean, about we, this? We are also in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mississippi seemed like total assholes. Oh, yeah. And the record label explains to him the tour, what's going to happen, that, hey, here's your check, but you're not going to get paid until you finish the job type of thing. And they, is it, do they explain or does Shirley explain that uh, the 23rd of December is the last show? Um, it's... I don't think they say anything. He knows because they give him the itinerary, yeah. and then he brings it up. And then there's the agreement, well, we're going to try to get backs to New York by Christmas. Because, you know, Italian, big family, <laughs> big Christmas Eve dinner. <laughs> Linda Catalini's meatballs, I tell you what. <laughs> uh, but the record label oh also... Oh, my God, this is so bad. Like This is like our Grease episode, I think. <laughs> With what, the Italian... Yeah. Dude, speaking of Grease... What was the budget for hair product on this movie? Because Vigo's hair is wet in every scene. Like, wet. And perfect. Wetter. Like, there's not, like, a part wet where we see the skew unless he's, like, in a fight with somebody. Yeah. Which is, like, the one strand that crosses his there forehead. There should be the part where Mahershala slaps him in the back. Would you watch the hair? <laughs> uh, before he leaves, though, before we leave, before we all go on this road trip uh, of discovery... He is given by the, I believe, his manager, Mahershala's manager, or somebody, the, the... The record exec. The record executive, yeah. It's a traveling when black guide called, you guessed it, the green book. Why would you call it the green book and not the black book? That's just too much. Come on. <laughs> That's still in the notes for this movie. <laughs> I mean, this movie in particular, I, I'm not... Like, the actual... There was an actual thing called a green book, as we discovered, but this movie itself, you know, it wouldn't have been above reproach for it to call it a black I mean, if you're playing fast and loose with a true story to begin with, then why not just... I mean, I mean the... there's a, there's already a movie called Black Book, so they probably didn't want to mix the two up because that, that Black Book is set in no, World no, no, War II. <laughs> that's from Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were talking about... Is it Little, Little Black, Black Book? Little Black Book with Brittany Murphy? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Don't worry. We're going to come back to that movie later in this talk. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning it now, though. Now you know that we're aware. And again, you know that we know that you know the artist life also lives to establish that Tony still doesn't want to be subservient to uh, Doctor Shirley. He's gonna play by his own rules, but see, yeah, this he's is a proud a, man. He's a loose cannon. Yeah, yeah. but th that kind of stuff in real life, you wouldn't put up with that shit. The movie, they they frame it in in the sense that yes, he's being a rebel, but Mahershala Ali is. Pretty condescending and pretty full of himself. It's it, he's his boss. There's like so many scenes. <laughs> in there. I mean, that has to be why he hired him. Because I mean, w w what we see of their meeting, like when they walk away, the only 
reasonable reaction is, okay, I'm going to hire somebody else unless he just wants them to feel superior to this guy or so he can teach this dude how to write a coherent sentence <laughs> later in life. But there's so many parts where Vigo's like throwing a fit and like, I just want to rehearse all idea, but bitch, I'm paying you. <laughs> but then Vigo turns around and he's like, but you're black and it's the 60s. <laughs> I ain't got to do nothing I, I don't want to. I'm, su I'm surprised Mahershala doesn't just occasionally bring out a wad of money from his jacket and just like flick it at, <laughs> at Vigo when he's getting out of line. You want it, Tony? Tony, what's become of you? And <laughs> we set off on our journey across the country. <laughs> it, we don't get into the deep south too quickly. We're going through the vast cornfields of Indiana for a while. Uh, we review the itinerary and the needs. We quickly establish that um, Don is an alcoholic because he needs a bottle of hooch every night in his room. And Julio, Tony doesn't judge. No. Uh, Julio was kept pointing out when I brought up these things about him, why are you reducing him to an alcoholic? It was like, because that's what the movie's doing. I, I was trying to give the movie the benefit of the doubt. Gotcha. Uh, also, I knew... Uh, because I'd already seen it. So I was trying to give you some suspense. I knew that later on we we see Doc Shirley hit rock bottom and it's not pretty. Uh, that, that was probably Doc's own stipulation to himself when he was like, I guess I got to hire this guy. <laughs> How am I going to get through this trip? <laughs> so before they leave, uh, uh, Doris, Dolores, excuse me, packs a bunch of sandwiches for the road trip. <laughs> And she gives them to Tony, and she's like, there's one for you and one for Dr. Shirley. And fucking uh, Vigo Mortensen in this is the episode of Futurama where Bender becomes a human and just can't stop eating and gets, like, morbidly obese. Because he eats his sandwich, and then he sees the one labeled Dr. Shirley, and then with the big condescending smug look on his face, just opens it up and eats it. Doesn't but he look in the, at him in the rearview mirror and then decides to take the sandwich? Or is he just staring at the name on the sandwich and then and then takes it? I think he does both. Okay. He, he looks yeah, at it, that, I it. should have known if if there's a subtle option in this movie, it, they never take it. <laughs> <laughs> Eats the sandwich. We're off. We're off and running. Uh, quickly into the trip, Tony is lectured by uh, Doc Shirley that he needs to work on his diction, his presentation of himself. Because they're starting to... He's too Italian. Yeah, they're learning about each other really quick. And so he gives them the what for about we're going to be dealing with, you know, the most elite people across the country on this. And then a catchphrase, apparently an Italian catchphrase I've never heard before, but now I've learned from this, is Viggo Mortensen explains that they got a problem when they can go take a shit. <laughs> I mean, sound philosophy? I don't know. Haven't tried it. I'm pretty sure fucking Peter Farley was just like, whatever sounds good, go with it. This, uh, was, a, this was a cut line from Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> and isn't this where he explains, too, we need to get you like a show name? We need to shorten your name because Valley Longa... Right, is, yeah. But, but we'll it's not probably do Tony Lip. like the only truly insightful thing that Tony Lip does in this whole movie when he, when he calls out Doc on this. And it's like, you're telling me all these elites can't pronounce Valley Longa? Yeah. And he's like, we're not calling you Tony the Lip. Your impression of Mahershala Ali is uncanny. It's so <laughs> oh good. my god! It's like, I mean, it's it's straight up Hannibal Lecter, and it's <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, shit, we have it. The first performance, I believe, is in Indiana. Um, no, the next scene is in Indiana. We're fucking somewhere in the Midwest. It's it's still we're not in the Deep South. Is the point? 
Right. There's some sort of civilization. Like he's not. He's not. His life is not in danger. Maybe just no. a little bit of his pride. He's getting to go and eat everywhere, and you know, he, he's part. People, of people look at him, it's, but it's, it's like warm up racism for when he gets to the south. We'll appreciate it though, because the movie comes back around. Because the north, you know, <laughs> thank God we're in the north where people treat each other right. But that's what I'm saying. Like people from Mississippi, people from Ohio or... just watch this and be like, "Damn right." <laughs> Well, I wonder if it's just like like when you bring up World War II to a German in present day, and they're like, "See, that's you're never living this down." Like, is that if, if you're from Mississippi, it, that's it? Like, you're, movies will never let you forget. Or fucking Raleigh, North Carolina, where they try to make him use the outhouse. We'll get to that. First performance. Tony can't be bothered to fucking watch it. He's out playing dice with the I put in quotations the help because it's basic. He's the only white person there because everyone else you know of color is relegated to that and um fucking mahershala is already disgusted with him he comes out and tony i've been looking for you <laughs> the performances i i had this there's a lot of them there's a lot of mahershala playing uh the piano here and it all kind of i'll admit i'm not a classical music kind of person so mm-hmm. of course it's not already it's not playing to my uh taste but Maybe it's just that the piano is kind of a boring instrument, you know. I mean, he's not he's being generally Louis every time too. That too, well, I mean, all classical music sounds the same. But going from a movie like The Dirt, where they're you know ripping up different tracks every time to this, it's like... this is, yeah. It, but they keep cutting to the reactions from from the racist white people. Uh, they're just like, I'm so proud to have a black person playing at my party. Uh, to the the help, like the black people that are just inspired that one of their own is playing the piano, and I just I wasn't feeling it on either way. I was just like, can you cut to someone that's like me? That's like, that's cool, but it's not my thing. And then they cut to fucking Vigo Mortensen, who's got a can of whipped cream, just shooting it into his <laughs> mouth. I don't have it in the notes here, but it's as good a time as any to bring up that there is a scene where Vigo Mortensen takes an entire pizza and folds it up like a taco <laughs> and tries to eat it. And the Oscar a goes Greasy to... motherfucker. <laughs> like, I'm surprised there wasn't a part where he just like, hey, oh, let's pull over to this greasy spoon over here. <laughs> Road trip commences. They pull over somewhere in Bumblefuck, West Virginia. I don't know. And it looks like it's going to be trouble because it's like a fucking very rural gas station. But the purpose of it is there's like a partition outside that has stones of some sort. Pretty rocks. Yeah. Ambers, shit like that. And Vigo picks one up off the ground and steals it. And then he's lectured in the car about stealing. And he explains it's his lucky rock. And, you know. But so how is it? He's this, the one that's this nice is where the, the transformation of Tony Lip truly begins. <laughs> because he gets scolded for doing something he thought was okay. He's he's in the wrong. No, he knows he's in the wrong because he tells he tells Doc, Oh, you take all the fun out of this. Right. So even though he's in the wrong, the movie paints Doc as being a nag, right? Marshall Ali should know better than to just, you know, yell at him for stealing a rock. That's that's the part of that. Whether the movie's well made or badly made, the message is wrong. You know, oh, this black guy, this uptight black guy, is not letting the white Italian dude have some fun. Mm-hmm. If Doc had like a sharper personality, he should have said something like, "Are you gonna eat it, Tony?" <laughs> <laughs> we did miss the part also when they're eating, and they're because that's how we're established from the north. They eat at that diner, and he explains Pittsburgh to him. Right? Yeah. yeah. So is is every establishing shot in this movie of Vallelonga eating something? I believe so. That that takes got, us into the scene. That's how that's <laughs> uh, that's how we go on this tour of the south. He's got like a mouthful of something. It's you know. 
Like, um, the the faker the Italian food gets, the further south they're going. <laughs> like, there's some scenes towards the end when they're in the really deep south towns where he's just like turning up the Italian like uh, <laughs> facade to a thousand. He's like, they got weird accents here too. I gotta tune it up. It's, it's a defense mechanism. Like when the yeah, cop is like, like a chameleon. <laughs> When the cop in Mississippi fucking asks him his last name, hey, Valley Longa. <laughs> All right, dude. He adds at least like four L's to that thing. And he's just like, Bella, la, 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 Longa. My people, yeah. my people brought all these letters over. <laughs> you was going to eat that? <laughs> fucking hell. Um, Hanover, Indiana is our next stop. Which I was there like, are too many stops on this movie. Hanover, West Virginia. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. And they um, should have flown. Well, this is more of an establishing Tony where he's not eating because he comes in and slaps uh, the guy who set up the venue because it's not a Steinway piano, which is one of the big requirements the doc has. And this is where we learn that Tony's starting to take his job seriously, but he's also still the heater. He's the goon of the bunch. Right. But again, how do you make him look good? You just have somebody that's even a bigger piece of shit than he is. The guy is like, I'm not going to repeat what he says, but he's just basically, you know, saying, well, what does it matter? Like these people, they just play in front of whatever piano. Basically, he says that it's not good. He says it's not good enough. He's like, well, who cares? It's good enough for black people. Right. Basically. And then, and then so, you're like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, punch him. And they're like, no, but no, you're not good either. <laughs> you're just doing it because you're getting paid for it. Yeah. I mean, he should have called Don out to come and lecture them both. And he sh- and Tony should have been like, Doc, here's this conversation. What did we do wrong and how can we get better? <laughs> and then he can be like, well, Tony. Read that word. Now read that word. Now put them together. How do you spell deer again? <laughs> What's my wife's name? <laughs> Uh, oh, and we peak early. We're probably halfway through the movie, not even, and we get the peak of this, the Ken- the Kentucky Fried Chicken scene. The the Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial is like, you cannot resist Kentucky Fried Chicken. One, Italians love it. Just, Black people love it. Fucking hell. Racists yeah. love it. It's <laughs> Non-racists love it. What's fucking the office, Michael? Pizza. Everyone loves pizza. White people love pizza. Black people love pizza. Do black people love pizza? <laughs> But the fucking the uh, the premise for this is so idiotic because Tony says Kentucky Fried Chicken in Kentucky. When does that ever happen? Listen, when as you're a, in Kentucky, yeah, literally every day. <laughs> as, as an immigrant who lost his shit every time he saw a cowboy hat when he first moved to Texas, I can relate a little bit. But of course, I mean, Tony's a grown man. Yeah, but you like knew they existed. He's acting like he's never seen. He's like, wait, is that what the Kentucky means? <laughs> Kentucky's a state? So they pull over and, I mean, I didn't write anything down besides fried chicken scene, but he basically. I mean, he just he, he teaches the black man how to enjoy fried chicken. And doesn't he say something like, your people love this stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Use people. Use guys love this stuff. And he, like. Peer pressures him into trying fried chicken. He's like waving it. I know it's like it's like in the eighties drug ads where he's like trying to offer him a joint, but it's just a little a little floppy chicken wing. Like here, here, doc. It just took the fun out of a KFC. I mean, I I don't think I've ever been this uncomfortable with a fried chicken scene. And I watch Killer Joe. You beat me to it. (laughs) Uh, And he's like, Tony, how do I eat this, Tony? He doesn't know where to begin, and he's fucking like... <laughs> do, do, do you fold it? <laughs> he's holding it like it's a fucking nuclear bomb or something that he's got to put in just so. It's 
it's it's like he's got it like his fingers in a Chinese finger trap, and he's just trying to like nibble around the edges to get his fingers. But out. see, I would have liked the movie to have the strength of its convictions, <laughs> and just having not liked the chicken. That would yeah, have been he great. He should have spit it out. He spit just it took on. a bite. Fuck this, Tony, and then threw it out the window. <laughs> uh, Tony, you know, and you know, Tony would have got out of the car and picked that up and be like, "We don't hey, waste. Oh, we don't waste chickens." This. Yeah, it keeps going. They like throw it out the window. No, well, they they throw the chicken bone out, and then you know the the child, you know, with childlike enthusiasm, after Tony sees Dad throw his trash away, he goes crazy and throws his cup out the window, and then has to go go and retrieve it because he overstepped his bounds. He stepped on the wrong shoes. Got too much dip on his chip, as they say. Uh, but this is... Is that a Kentucky thing? <laughs> this is a skin-crawling scene because, you know, I can just hear the middle-aged white people in the theater laughing at this and, like, you know, relating to it. So Because uh, they also had a friend. That, uh, uh, I mean, the white a black, people... A black are, friend that doesn't like fried chicken. Yeah. The white people are all just sitting there like, it is good. I, I like Kentucky fried chicken. <laughs> He's never had it. It's just a lifeline. I wouldn't have it every day, but it's good. I'll get the sweet tea, too. <laughs> this, this literally takes up like six minutes of the movie. Is him just fucking waving the dick of chicken. Dude, it was, I mean, it, you it know, was it at was... least an hour. I don't know what movie you were watching. <laughs> it, was I, I needed... it was the audition scene for uh, Vigo yeah. and Mahershala. I, I needed to find a focal point just so I could get through this. <laughs> Kevin Hart couldn't make it of... through, uh, through the scene without laughing. That's why he didn't get the role. <laughs> We get to the Deep South. The Green Book actually kicks in for the first time. And to quote Eddie, and also just, uh, we watched this with my sister as well, who's been on the podcast previously. Blatant is a word I'd use to describe this. Unsubtle. Like Eddie said, if there's a, a subtle option, the movie's not going to take it. So we know already they're using the Green Book. And then we get down there, and there's just, you know, coloreds only signs posted everywhere. And one shot we have, it's just the fucking focus point of like a 90 second shot uh, to let us know where we are. And it's the first hotel that uh, Don has to stay at by himself. And even there, he's an outcast. He's sitting out and, you know, the uh, are they playing horseshoes? The other tenants there at the hotel? Some uh, black people game, I guess. That's basically what the movie's saying. Hey, this is what all other black people do except for Mahershala Ali. Yeah, they already burned shooting dice. So they had to find something else. <laughs> and they ask him to join and he's, no, I'm fine where I am. And they don't they give him hell for not participating. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean they, it's, it's, it's not playful. That, but, yeah. it's, it's playful. I mean, if, oh, because he's like him... in a suit and they call him like fancy boy or something. Like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, these are black people. They're harmless. Now, if you want somebody to give him hell, that's the next scene. Whitey. Yeah. That's, yeah. He wanders off because he wants to get a drink. And this is the, the pizza taco scene because fucking <laughs> right. Vigo's got he ordered his porn on the TV and he's got his big pizza and he's ready to enjoy himself for the night. Brings out the lotion. He's lubing up the hands. He's got the pizza fold and then the phone rings or they knock on his door and he does the what? <laughs> I'm enjoying myself here. And Can't it, you see I'm busy here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't you see the pizza box in the door? <laughs> <laughs> it says do not disturb. <laughs> He's just becoming Travolta the further we get into this. <laughs> That's not how we do things up north. <laughs> uh, he gets called down to the bar where Mahershala Ali is getting not only harassed, but physically assaulted. Uh, we cut in on him, and he's bloodied up. He's yeah, he's he, they've been punching for a while. He's, so the guy that goes looking for uh, for Vigo is... Uh, one of the one of the musicians that travels. They're a trio. With them. Yeah, there's the German fellow, and then this miscellaneous white guy for yeah. So this guy, he saw that they were beating up Mahershala Ali, and the it's, only thing instead he could, of helping, exactly. they they run out of the bar to go get 
go get Fat Tony to come and help him. So that's got to be at least like, what, 10 minutes? So for 10 minutes, it'd been beating the shit out of Mahershala Ali. Yeah. You could have, you were a white dude, you could have, you know, done something. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't. Because well, Vigo has to be the hero. Yeah. Well, and also, they all, when he starts talking, they're like, get these Yankees or some shit. And uh, he threatens with a gun. I'm going to fucking shoot you. Well, and- the, the illusion of a gun. We never see the gun. We do. Sorry. Uh, not right Spoiler now. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but the threat of him having a gun is enough to get him taken away. And Mahershala, basically, they hand Mahershala Ali over to him. But see, since you, since, since you brought it up, this is, again, the movie betrayed itself. Because at first you think, oh, he outsmarted them. He didn't have a gun. Mm-hmm. So his brain and smarts solved the situation. At the end of the movie, you find out he had a gun. Yeah. So... It didn't matter. <laughs> he's not really that smart. He's not really that confident. He can't fucking put a sentence together. Of course he's not that smart. He's borderline illiterate. He can't spell gun. He takes Don back to the hotel, drops him off. He's really drunk, sad, takes him to his room. He tells him from this point forward, you don't go anywhere without me. So they're on to the next town, which turns out to be Raleigh, North Carolina, when the car breaks down on the side of the road, and wouldn't you know it, it breaks down just next to a field that has a high population of black people working in the field and it's the scene in ferris bueller where cam is just looking at that painting and it keeps cutting back and forth to his face and with the painting they're looking at mahershal ali like he's michelangelo's david in a museum somewhere um and he's looking back at them like you know what have i become and meanwhile Vigo Mortensen's pouring just a big jug of something over the engine. Like, the car overheated, but he's not pouring it into anything in the engine. He's just like, yeah, this ought to do it. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, you know, he is a professional. It, oh, he, he, a professional bullshitter. That's something someone who knows nothing about cars would do, is just yeah. open the hood. Yeah, got it going. The big twist at the end of the movie is that they never really left the north. Vigo was driving them in circles. It's a source code. <laughs> What happens from here? We get to Raleigh, North Carolina. There's a performance. It's all happy and good. And the gentleman who owns the mansion or the plot of land where they went to perform said, we asked the help what kind of meal that uh, Dr. Shirley would enjoy. And come on, guys. What do they serve them? Corn on the cob. (laughs) And fried chicken. And when they open up the fried chicken, Mahershala Ali looks just aghast, and then it cuts to this oh, shot. The whole table is just looking at him, and the white people are so smug and so so pleased <laughs> so with themselves. So happy. And it's they like, nailed it. We knew, Say the we line, knew what Bart. you would <laughs> And they look at him, and then it cuts to a shot of Vigo Mortensen, who does the point to the brain thing of, like, like, told you. Yeah, and, and Vigo, you know, he's already, like, three chicken legs in while they're, while they're all staring at Mahershala. <laughs> he's just doing the thing where he's sucking it clean. Mahershala goes to use the bathroom, Dr. Shirley, excuse me, goes to use the bathroom and they stop him and say, you can't use the facilities, you have to go to the 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 outhouse. The outhouse. Understandably so, he's like, fuck this shit, and uh, asks Vigo to drive him back to the hotel so he can use the wash facility there. But it's it's kind of weird, the the fights he picks and the fights that he doesn't pick, it doesn't doesn't seem consistent throughout the movie. There are times where he draws a hard line at, oh, I'm not going to use the bathroom that the help uses. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where he's like, I know they hate me, but I'm going to play and amuse them anyway. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the movie never really explains why. 
they, they, they later down in the movie when they finally give you the big reveal, the big story, the big backstory that explains why is he putting up with this much shit? Why did he decide to go on a tour of the South knowing that nobody there is going to really see him as a human being? The closest to come to an explanation is that, well, Nat King Cole came all the way down South once and he barely got to play because they, they beat him up or they dragged him off the stage. And so what? So now he's hoping to accomplish the same? Well, does he say sometimes genius isn't enough? It's making a change or something like that? Right. So Changing but, the way people think or feel? Right, but he doesn't change anything other than maybe how Viggo Mortensen feels. So there were cheaper ways of doing this than taking Viggo Mortensen on a tour of the South. Also risking your life. And uh, they write a letter together. They're pulled over at like a Sonic or some shit somewhere, and he helps him write a letter to his wife about... Uh, your beauties like the plains of Idaho. I mean, of course, Vigo. What plains? <laughs> what Idaho? Idaho plains? <laughs> Get to Macon, Georgia. Uh, they walk past a gentleman's shop, suits, ties, things of that nature. They go in as um, Dr. Shirley wants to buy a new suit. He's not permitted to try it on. He has to buy it or get the fuck out. So Vigo's starting to realize maybe racism's bad. Well, I mean, also, as an audience, we've kind of figured out the pattern. We've learned this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we travel to a new place, and people are shitty to the black man. Mm-hmm. And Vigo it, it, learns a little bit more each time. Vigo it's like learns. like an advent calendar. Vigo learns. But Doc Shirley, he doesn't. He walks into that 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 tailored shop, expecting to be treated the same way as Bill Morrison. By now, he should know. They're like they're getting deeper in the south. In case you didn't know, this movie is about Vigo Mortensen's realization of these things. So I think he's just doing it to show him everywhere they go, so Vigo can be like, "Hold on a minute, this ain't right." It's probably Doc thinking in his head like. The city it still has not learned, so I guess we have to go here now. Like, Tony, please take me to the suit shop. Maybe attempt 57 will help him learn. Um, in Macon, Georgia, we get another call. Uh, or we don't. Tony does, excuse me. He's called down to the YMCA because it's where gay men go. And um, Doc Shirley was busted in the shower with a, another gentleman. Uh, presumably engaging in coitus. They're both nude. This is like the first part of Tony kind of almost standing up for Doc Shirley because he's like, get the man a towel for Christ's sake. And then he pays off the police. And this is like, I'm glad Eddie used the phrase fat Tony because this is like a Simpsons slash, you know, early Scorsese type scene of a, you know, a mobster trying to pay off the police. And these Southern cops are just dumbos anyway. Like, you trying to bribe us, boy? (laughs) He's like, like, no, no it's a gift. It's a, a donation. donation. <laughs> you guys get some good Susan, take the wife to dinner. And then this is here, Mahershala Ali gets mad. He's like, those men were wrong for what they did, and you rewarded them. Why did you do it, Tony? Why, Tony, why? <laughs> why, Tony? <laughs> why, Tony? <laughs> and Tony basically explains, yeah, this is going to be more trouble for us if we just stay here so we get the fuck out. It's It doesn't... Why is he being the voice of reason? Why is Tony Lip, who has been established as being kind of, you know, he's just the muscle. And somehow he's he suddenly becomes the practical guy that's actually going to, has to tell Maharshal Ali, who through most of the trip has been annoying, but he's been the voice of reason. He has to remind Maharshal Ali that, hey, you know, we're on a mission and we have to get from point A to point B. And if you get arrested for a fooling around with some dude at the YMCA that kind of throws us off track. And then he said, I told you not to go anywhere without me. 
Mahershala Ali uh, Sull- uh, Sullivan, I keep wanting to call him that, Shirley explains, Tony, I thought you would want this to be the exception, Tony. And, and, then, don't know and, then, and then they share a look, and then the music swells, and you think for a second they might kiss, <laughs> but I, they don't. And this is also uh, asking a lot uh, of uh, room for error here with the audience. It's asking you to just assume that Tony, this fucking troglodyte who is racist and also not educated, would all would just be okay with Mahershala Ali not disclosing to him that he was gay. He has a throwaway line later where he was like, oh, you know, I worked at the or, club, I me, saw all sorts of things. Yeah, potentially bisexual because he does explain he had a wife previously. So we don't know if he's gay or bisexual or what have you. We don't really know what happened in that shower. No, but yeah, also just like... <laughs> Haven't you ever just woken up from a bender next to a <laughs> naked man? Hairy <laughs> naked man in the YMCA shower? But yeah, Tony's just like, let's go to the next town. You'd think you'd just... You know, they should have thrown some. I, I get it, it's the 60s, man. I mean, Tony. Tony's he's the guy who's he's kind of. I, I assume he's so homophobic. He he would never even refer to a hot dog as a wiener just because he doesn't <laughs> want to send any signals out there. Well, you saw him like in the hot dog eating contest. He definitely wanted to make sure there was no phallic representation. So oh, he's yeah, eating yeah. like a fucking corn cob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if, if he could have done that as a taco, he would have. <laughs> uh, we make our way to Memphis, Tennessee. Great little town. Uh, where Tony runs into some of his former mob friends who are appalled, aghast, and disgusted that he is uh, chauffeuring around a black man. They speak in Italian, like, what the fuck are you doing? Come here, we'll give you a real job, that type of thing. Um, we do get an amazing shot of Mahershala Ali over the shoulder of the Italian dudes talking to him where he does, like, the watch point thing. <laughs> like, we're on that, we're running late here, Tony, get your ass over here. Uh, later that night, he goes to leave, Tony that is, to meet up with his mob friends to hear him out about their job offer, where he is uh, cut off in the hallway by um, Shirley, who apologizes kind of like for what's been going on, and then also... He apologizes for being gay. He apologizes for causing him so much trouble. I'm sorry racism and homophobia <laughs> exist, Tony. What have I done, Tony? Tony, I'm sorry. I'm a bundle of cliches. <laughs> and isn't this all... He's all in Italian, so he lets them know that he knew exactly what they were talking about. Yep. And the look on Vigo Mortensen's face when he starts speaking Italian. No, that's impossible. It's like the look that we get later from Doc when he sees Tony just writing a letter on his own. (laughs) Like he should be behind like a glass partition observing it from afar. Uh, Okay, we get to Mississippi and this is where the fucking white hot shines, uh, white hot heat shines brightest in that. Do they even perform there, or are they just making their way through when they're pulled over? There's like a montage. At some point, even uh, Farrelly, Peter Farrelly, realized that, okay, maybe maybe it's time to speed things up. I can't keep like making a stop and, and a sequence of racism on every stop of the tour. So we get a little montage of him like playing the piano. He ran and... out of racist cliches and like... <laughs> gotta get to, gotta build up bells. to the next one. Yeah. Uh, it's a sign of, of Fairley's maturity as a filmmaker that he did not include a montage of racist acts just to drive the point home. So they're pulled over by the General Lee. And um, what are they even pulled over for? They're, they're where they shouldn't be is what the guy said. They're in there. a uh, – what do you call it? Like they're not. If you're black, you're not supposed to be out after curfew yeah, like or something. Sundown. Sundown yeah. town or whatever yeah. the fuck they call it. Uh, pulled over. He's explaining we're lost. We got turned around. The cops start harassing him, make him get out. And, of course, it's pouring rain. So it's a massive inconvenience. I'm surprised Tony didn't explain his shoes couldn't be wet or something like that. And 
they just explain he can't be out. You shouldn't be driving him. They find out he's Italian. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. How do you pronounce that last name? Valilolonga. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, no wonder you're driving him. You're half an N-word as well. Isn't that what he calls him? That's, that's yeah. the first N-word they drop in the movie. Jesus Christ. And it won't be the last. They took their sweet time getting there. And yeah, they uh, made you earn it. It's, it's, it's not even aimed as at, at the main black that is, character. That is a genuine surprise. Yeah. So they are arrested because Viggo Mortensen takes this insultingly and punches him. So we're in our, the jail cell there. It's much like the master where they're just yelling back and forth at each other within their jail cell. Doc Shirley gets his one phone call, places a call. Moments later, the phone in the jailhouse rings. And it's, uh, it was ex Kennedy. Yeah, Bobby Kennedy. Somehow Doc Shirley had ties to him. And the uh, how convenient the police chief answers. Yeah, I'm the chief here. And you just hear him go baloney and he goes to hang up the phone. And then he's clearly getting yelled at. He looks like the warden in Shawshank Redemption when the fuzz is closing in on him, just like wiping the sweat from his brow. So they're free to go. Um, and yeah, then did you catch where on the way out? Tony was like, who said something about baloney? <laughs> <laughs> you guys got baloney. <laughs> so they leave the jailhouse. The tensions are clearly running hot between the two. And this is, I'm surprised this wasn't the Oscar scene. It's the Chasing Amy ripoff scene. <laughs> I'm blacker than you, so to speak. <laughs> uh, where Viggo Mortensen's explaining, I'm blacker than you. You know, you don't even know your own people, your customs, yada, yada, yada. He demands that they pull the car over. And this is where we get Mahershala Ali's like, I need my pain. Yes, it is. <laughs> His character comes full circle and he explains, if I'm not black enough, I'm not white enough, and I'm not man enough, then what am I? Because he explains the only people, the only reason these white people pay me to come over is to make them feel cultured. I'm not welcomed by my own people. You know, all this. And still, you get this dumbfounded look on Viggo Mortensen's he's face. Like, like, can you get back in the car, though? <laughs> he's like, what? What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> they end up staying at the same hotel because they're still in the deep south. And Shirley's not welcome at the hotel where Tony's staying, so he goes and stays with him. And Did you feel that this is where the movie completely dropped the ball? Where there could have been the redeeming moment of you've established that he's gay, you've established that he's lonely, you've established that they're bonding. Now they're sharing a room in this uh, hostile city. Like This is where, I'm not saying that they had to become soulmates, but really this is where the movie could have really taken things to the next level. It could have bonded. Well, it could have been just like, you know, a one night kind of thing where where Tony Tony becomes the lip for a different reason. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> they could have at least shared a bed or something. Uh, but he, this is where he reprimands Tony for smoking everywhere, too. Right. But so he could have taken the cigarette out of his mouth and then put it out on the bedside table. Well, because also... You want to earn your nickname, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you think that they're finally going to Tony. bed. Tony. I'm driving tonight, Tony. <laughs> no, you you think that the the scene is over, and then um, Vigo goes like, "You know what, dog? You know what's keeping me up at night?" You're like, "All right, <laughs> it's happening." He says, "You know what's been eating me? <laughs> Not once did you offer to take me to the YMCA." <laughs> We've been together two months. You never take me. But we talked about because he uses the, the the expression, you know, it's been eating me. And then Eddie said that what he should have fired back with was, and you haven't eaten it, Tony. <laughs> Fucking hell. But it, it's the Pittsburgh thing, right? He's disappointed right. that the yeah. breasts in Pittsburgh weren't better. Yep. So, yeah, the payoff was way weaker than what it could have been. 
Could have mended the, the book. That's he should have just closed the green book. <laughs> Good night, Doc. <laughs> Christmas is approaching. It is the Christmas show, in fact. It's the twenty third of December in the year of nineteen sixty two. Um oh and the what actually closed the scene was he was encouraging him to reach out to his brother. He hadn't spoken to his brother in several years. Right, which doesn't him a letter. And fucking the mouth I'll, I'll re- teach you how to spell deer. <laughs> mouth breeding to- or mouth breathing, <laughs> Tony. Mouth breathing. <laughs> that is Tony Lip. That is. The fucking mouth breather that he is somehow has like this poignant like line of you know, there's millions of people out there that are too afraid to reach out. And then it cuts to Mahershala Ali having like this reflective moment like he should have just shut the fuck up, Tony. <laughs> Yeah, he. I, I, you know, there are a bunch of different ways that scene could go. I, I was hoping he would do a. I think it's a deleted scene where he goes, he goes. You know, Doc, my people. They have a saying that they brought over, and it's when you hear your family, <laughs> <laughs> or the lights go out, you just hear at the door, pizza. <laughs> All's right, my food's here. So it is the Christmas show on the twenty third. They, I didn't catch the town they're in, but they're clearly. Deep South, because the guy sounds like a fucking prospector. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Okay, so what's further sounds down? Like Todd Chrisley. What's the la- what's the furthest south you can go before it becomes the north again? <laughs> uh, Eagle Pass, Texas. <laughs> they're not in Texas, though. No. They're, they're yeah, not. for whatever reason, Peter Farley felt the need to protect Texas in this. Oh, he's not fucking with Texans. No. But where they are, closing show. It's all the marbles on the table, and then it's a dining issue because Tony calls the the others from the trio. They're going to all eat in the dining hall at this restaurant where um, Dr. Shirley is going to be performing. Uh, Dr. Shirley comes to try to take the table, and he's shut down. It's the club policy. You can't come in here to eat. You can entertain, but you can't eat here. And then, yeah, they insult him by, well, we'll give you a menu. You can order something you just can't eat in here. And then they recommend he goes to the Orange Bird, which I understand they have fine food there. Kudos to uh, Farrelly for not calling it the Blackbird, I guess. Yeah. This is where Shirley holds his ground. And he tells Tony, like, may I speak to you, Tony? Or no, Tony wants to talk to him. And he's just explaining, I, I will eat here. And I'm not doing anything until I eat here. So they go back. And then the owner of the club wants to talk to Tony. And he tries to basically bribe him to get him to leave. And I'm leaving out a bunch of racial slurs <laughs> and very horrible opinions that he threw out. Beliefs that he uh, perpetuated during the scene. But then... Tony grabs him by the collar. He's like, you think you can buy me? And he says something. I think this is, again, assaulting to Italians. He's like, by the looks of it, anyone can buy you. Grabs him by the collar, throws him into the door. And uh, Mahershala Ali has just been watching the entire time. Tony? Rubbing his hands. No. And he says, I'll play here if you think I should. And the crew, cast, writers, everybody, they made sure they saved fuck for the right moment. So Viggo Mortensen can say, let's get the fuck out of here. I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go taste that orange bird. So naturally they go down to the orange bird. And this is the night of the final show. turns out to be the final show. Because they eat there. They clearly stand out. One, because Viggo Mortensen's white. And two, because Mahershala Ali is dressed to the nines in a fucking fly-ass tuxedo. And he explains he's a piano player. They tell him to get on stage, so he plays one of his classical songs. The audience approves, and they clap for him. Then they but get... it's kind of a mood killer. I mean, why can't he read the? I, I shouldn't be surprised that he can't read the room because he hasn't been able to read the South at all in these two months. But mm-hmm. he gets up there. Yeah, and... reading for sure is not one of his strong suits. <laughs> well, he's like he, he's just playing like a, a, he's like singing a, 
a sad ballad at a karaoke party. I mean, he just brings the mood down. But afterwards, the he gets the nod of approval for his skill level, and then so the house band gets up there and they start playing some like rock music, pretty much. With uh, and he adapts to it and begins playing the piano, and it turns into a nice little medley that they do. Now, prior to all this, when they pull up to the bar, um, very tone deaf Doc Shirley just pulls out this massive wad of cash and just starts ripping bills off to pay for it, and. Uh, very, very subtly, we get the camera pans to two gentlemen on the other side of the bar, that, and it's a shot that lasts about 20 seconds, so we can see that they're watching him count the money. And we go to leave, and we come out, and Vigo Mortensen shoots off a pistol in the air twice, and those same two people that were watching it scamper off. The gun that he was not supposed to have. And then he says, never count off monies in the side of a boss somewhere. And then they get in the car, and they're heading back, and doesn't surely say something like, I knew you had a gun, Tony. <laughs> Your pistol was digging into my hip, Tony. <laughs> I knew we're not, you were not just happy to see me, Tony. <laughs> and we start the trek back home. I was trying to figure out where they were based on the travel time. Because it would have been like the morning of the 24th and they made it back for dinner on Christmas Day. I mean, that's how you know they did not cross Texas. Because that would have been just a week of solid driving just to get out of Texas. So they drive and they drive and they drive some more and they keep driving and then it's snowing. And then they can't see, and then they get pulled over, and they know they're back to the promised land because the cop's really nice to them. It's like it's the first time in the movie since they set off on the on their journey that they interact with somebody that treats them like human beings. Like he comes up and like I think even the music's kind of like brooding and ominous, and it's like, "What's the problem, officer?" Well, neighbor, I noticed your taillights or your tires leaning down in the back there. Yeah. And then he looks at Mahershala Ali and says. Merry Christmas. Yeah, it ran into Officer Flanders there. <laughs> uh, Tony can't take anymore. He can't drive. He can't keep his eyes open. So, naturally, Doc Shirley takes over for the last leg of the trip. Gets Tony back home just in time for Christmas dinner. What kind of upside-down world, Twilight Zone kind of bullshit we are at this point in the movie where the big triumphant moment is that the black guy gets to drive the white guy home. How did we come to this? Like, it's not even coming full circle. It's just like a spiral. That's that's just the screenwriters paying off, you know, what the audience expectations. Because the whole time they're like, you know, we're we're doing 2018's Driving Miss Daisy. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. And then just when you're like, oh, they're they're gonna get home, then bam, the black man's driving the white guy around. <laughs> He gets back home. He comes up to the apartment just in time for, you know, leftovers or whatever they have still. Except... It looks like they're still eating from Christmas Eve dinner. <laughs> the feast that never ended. He gets home, sits down. Hey, tell us about your trip. And then one of his relatives, brother, uncle, whoever, uses a racial slur and says, hey, don't call him that. And then they, they take it really well. They just nod and they're like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> if you say so. That's all it took. And initially, after declining... Tony, you changed. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you learn on that trip, Tony? <laughs> and he initially declined an offer to come up to have dinner with them, but then Mahershala Ali returns with a bottle of... Um, Espumante. Uh, I can't remember what it is that he drinks. I feel bad. Cuddy Sark. Cuddy Sark. Shows up with a bottle of that, and he's welcome. And it's like uh, paint your wagon. He shows up, and this is like, hey, this here is Dr. Shirley. And it's really quiet, and then everyone's like... Well, come on, partner. Grab yourself a plate. <laughs> and Linda Cardellini comes and hugs him and whispers in his ear. Thanks She's for... in this? <laughs> she comes back. She reemerges from the dead and gives uh, Dr. Shirley a hug and thanks him for 
the letters. And for changing her husband. For the better. <laughs> I mean. Because she does give him the proud, like, arm rub. Right, he, like, after after it. he says no more racial slurs yeah. at this table. Yeah. And then the movie's over. That look in her eye that says maybe my life will be lived outside of the kitchen and bedroom from this point on. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, it's not quite over because then we get the, the little, uh, I guess, the pictures of the real people. Mm-hmm. And where you find out that uh, that Tony Lip looked more like Danny DeVito than Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. The casting was done with the intention of being more pleasant to the audience eyes. I mean, it fits the whole movie's M.O. of of creating, or, you know, trying to placate the, the Vallelongas and create this hagiography around around this simpleton Tony Lip. So that was Green Book. Directed by Peter Farrelly. Academy Award winner for Best Picture. Not, uh, what's the, who's the other Farrelly? Joe Bobby, Farrelly? Bobby. Where was Bobby while all this was going on? Dr. Don he, Farley. He was the smart one who who saw that script and was like, get me the hell away from this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want a producer credit. <laughs> you're on your own, Peter. You can have your awards. I'll keep my dignity. And scene. <laughs> all right. You guys ready for real talk? Because uh, yeah. Yeah. Th- this will get heated. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, uh, I thought I was going to an office. My daddy said a doctor needed a driver. That's all they told you? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. Have you ever driven professionally before? Sanitation. Garbage trucks. Plus, I drive my boss home at night. But I could drive anything. Limos, tow trucks, snow plows, whatever. I see. What other experience do you have? I worked a lot of joints, wagon wheel, peppermint lounge, copa. In what capacity? What do you mean? What did you do there? Uh, public relations. Well, first of all, Tony, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. You mean like songs? Yes. And I'm about to embark on a concert tour, the majority of which will be down south. Atlantic City? No. The deep south. First, we're starting in the Midwest, and then we're taking a hard left. Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, and on down through the Delta. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? No. No. It was just the other day. Me and my wife had a couple of colored guys over at the house. For, for drinks. All right, we're recording for Real Talk for Green Book. All right. What a movie. Hey, we've we've all learned something today, or relearned, as it were. Green Book, as we mentioned, directed by Peter Farley of Dumb and Dumber, me, myself, and Irene. Something about Mary. Something about Mary. All those good, good fame. Uh, Three Stooges. Starting what, you. <laughs> was released on November sixteenth, twenty eighteen. Shallow how. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fitting. It has that Christmas ending coming out at the end of the year. Uh, budget of around twenty three million. Box office return of over three hundred million. Not surprising. Set the world on fire. Academy Award winner for Best Picture. Also won Mahershala um, Ali Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Screenplay. Uh, was nominated for Best Actor Viggo Mortensen and Best Film Editing. It also won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture in the genre of musical or comedy. Was nominated for Best Director. Viggo got nominated. Mahershala won the Golden Globe and again it won Best Screenplay. Um, a very divisive movie. <laughs> One that's and again, if you've listened to the podcast at all, 
previously, you know, my past few years of film history is uh, filled with gaps, uh, but still make a point to watch the Oscars every year. And I can't really remember since like Crash, maybe one that was this that infuriated people to this degree. I mean, they just shouldn't award uh, movies about race. Well, they they would make it easier on themselves if they just stopped giving it to bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess before we jump into it, because I think there's a lot of thoughts that are had on the table, being that it is 78%, not definitely not a clean sweep of uh, critical success. So there's probably quite a few to choose from of those that didn't like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, here's a sample of uh, green splotches from the Rotten Tomatoes website, starting with Ernesto Diaz Martinez from Cine Vertigo, who says, a shameless Oscar bait. He ain't wrong. I think we can all agree. It should be <laughs> called that. Oscar baiting. A.S. <laughs> uh, Hamra from N Plus One says, by the end, it turns into a Hallmark Christmas movie with colorblind, non-homophobic hugs all around. Also in agreement. Yep. Um, Roxana Haddadi from Pajiba says, Green Book feels like a movie lost in time, and we have to do better. We demand better. That's pretty intense. We the people demand better movies about racism. I mean, can't all be a Black Klansman. <laughs> and finally, Harris Dang from the AU Review says, Green Book is a film about racism told by white people. And it really, really shows. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's the long and short of this movie. I, the Valor long and short. I don't know, how, how do we... <laughs> like I said, we were watching it. It feels like a movie made by a guy who made Dumb and Dumber who wanted to make a movie that was serious. I mean, yes. I agree with like pretty much everything, like all those quotes. And I would say maybe 90% of the, the, the formal criticisms made to the movie. But I still feel like it doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. It just doesn't make it a great movie. You know? And I wonder if, if people would have... Well, actually, no, I don't have to wonder. Obviously, nobody would have devoted even a fraction of the attention, the the, the time, the space that has been given to Green Book. If, if this wouldn't win so many awards, people would right. be like, whatever. Right. It, it wouldn't... But I don't think it would have been so hated either. You know? It'd be yeah. like, oh, it's just that movie. Because this like, winning points out... Uh, to me, at least, the way I read the backlash against this is it heavily highlights and accents all the criticisms that have been made against the Academy in, like, recent years. Yes, but especially because there was a more interesting movie about racism that was competing against It's also it. a movie about racism that only has one black character. Well, I mean, we have all the, of, like, there's all those people at the bar. People, yeah, and stuff like that, but... None of them actually have a character. Yeah, but, I mean, see, that kind of stuff is just, like, that's not the movie that we're making, you know? Because, really, the movie they're making is about... Peter, Fr I don't know that many black people. <laughs> like, listen. Yeah. I mean, this, it really is a story about how a white man got himself a black friend. Yeah, but, but see, I have no problem with that story. I mean, that story's fine. But the problem is it tells that story very heavy-handedly. If this movie didn't act like it was trying to say, like, racism's bad, then it... If it was just... If it made more of an effort to go out of its way to establish that Viggo Mortensen is the main character and he's just a dumbass and he learns something along the way, that's fine. But it's trying to act like this is going to solve all the woes 
of the the issue. I don't think that that's. I don't think that the movies are to do that. I think that there's an audience that perceives it that way. I mean, I don't disagree that there's uh, that there are people that watch this movie and like pat themselves on the back because they liked it and they think that well, this means that I'm not racist because I like this movie. But that's not on the movie. That's no, no. And I agree with that. It. I think that's what a lot of people took away too when it won the Academy Award because they viewed it as like the Academy saying. See, we're not racist. We gave it to this movie. Right. It, it's like, And that's I mean, not the fault of the movie. You're right. I mean, dude, we've done like the this whole award season. We've been talking about safe picks. And mm-hmm. this is, I mean, clearly a shining I mean, it example. it doesn't get safer. Than, yeah. Oh. It, actually, you could even like turn it all the way around and be like, it's almost unsafe to pick such a safe pick. <laughs> <laughs> because they... they yeah. It's <laughs> like, it's safe in every way from, you know, from subject matter to the like blatant mediocrity of every aspect of the movie to like the the self-righteous like they're the the feeling like you know we're we're making something that's gonna mean something to people here we're you know we're here to let people know it can be better and it's just it's just told so poorly but i don't get the self-righteousness i think that that's maybe like the one thing that really marks my at the end like the self-righteousness when he when they do the last the last Italian slur and he's like, Hey, don't call him that and then everybody just looked and like, Okay. You know, we've we've changed our ways now. Yeah. Let, let's get him in here for dinner. Right, but that's that's like <laughs> we got the fried chicken ready. <laughs> right, but I think that that's like weak storytelling. That's not the movie Extremely thinking. Weak. That, right. But that there's a difference between that and the movie thinking that it's actually like changing the world. I mean, I think that's a label that was put on it. But if you just I mean, I don't know. I think that a lot of people are ascribing. Uh, they're putting a it's lot in this movie. Rocky Four, exactly. Like, but it's like you if, know, if I can change and you can change, anybody can change. That's right? What I'm but to say. but when I watch Rocky Four, I don't fault Rocky Four for not being. I don't know, Raging Bull. You know, I'm like, oh, it's Rocky Four. You know, it's like Green Book. Oh yeah, it's like that fairly movie about racism. I mean. They, it I was, mean the the problem. I mean, you know, the the problem is more of Donna's dad. Yeah, the the problem just comes in from like we have these two characters who I'm sure their their real story has to be more interesting than this. But they like look at it and you just look at it on paper and you've got you know you've got racist Italian guy from the north who's only defined by his like insatiable appetite. <laughs> And then on the other end, you have this guy who's like haunted by family trauma, like, you know, identity crisis, like, like there's a real interesting story there. And there, the whole, the whole thing is set up so that we can build up Tony. And, and like, we only see the aftermath of all of these issues with Shirley, like him getting beat up in the bar. We don't see it. We just see the aftermath. The thing of him in the YMCA, just the aftermath. Yeah. It's nothing like, about the family, just the aftermath. It's just like, here's the scenario Tony. How are you going to react now? And it's not like it, like it just, it feels like the whole movie is constructed to build, build up Tony, which, you know, going from, you know, being ignorant to slightly less ignorant is, you know, it's, it's not a bad character arc, but when you pair it against something like you have it right there. Like everybody can see it. Like it's so much more, the story could be so much more interesting, but they're not interested in telling it They're Because that side of it, the Shirley side is too gritty and too like, real. One, one of my, right, but okay. And but you can't, I, you but can't I'll, laugh at any but I'll like give you, you can Tony. Right. But that's again, why would you fault Peter Farrelly for not making the movie from the point of view of a black man? See, you know, people I mean, would well, be crucifying I mean, him for saying, like, how dare you make a movie about... I mean, even now. I mean, it's like, oh, it's a racist movie made by a white guy. 
I, I feel like I mean, it's, if if he if he had more, I guess, more finesse as a filmmaker. There's got to be a way to tell the same story in a way where it works a little better, where it, it just it doesn't like every every change in Tony. It feels like, you know, we're we're just here to see to watch Don facilitate change in this man that we don't care if he's redeemed. We don't care if he's changed. And like, why should we care about if he changes at all? And really, I think, you know, if if we want to assign blame or, or credit to the story i mean it goes back to to vela Longa's son who i think wrote the screenplay and like did that first and then got other people involved like this this is the guy like trying to write an ode to his father which you know is you know i, I don't take issue with but as a movie it's like it's I, I couldn't be less interested in this movie and what they have to say with it right but there's a difference between like oh this is not as interesting as it could be maybe even as it should be, uh, versus like, oh, this movie is like incompetent. Well, so, I, then I, I guess, you know, taking away like, you know, the idea of like, it could be better, or, you know, just looking at it, what it is, it's not interesting. Like it's, it's, it, it's heavy handed. It's like holding everything up to you and it's like, see, racism is bad. And then 10 minutes later, we go through the cycle again. Racism is still bad, guys. Yeah. Are, are we learning yet? But see, we know the lesson. I think that there is a place in the world for this movie. And we may criticize I mean, this, this. It thing, won the best picture. I mean, this right. thing did an Avengers Endgame gross. <laughs> that is sad. <laughs> but uh, I think that there is... It's not just the people like us who like who are like underwhelmed by its message and the people that are like uh too proud of liking it. I think that there's a middle ground where there are people that are just like, Oh, well, you know, maybe I wouldn't have connected to Black Klansman, but I could connect to this. This is more relatable, as basic as it is. And I don't disagree with I think it's like you know, level Paint one. By numbers. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's like I can see somebody getting this as a starting point you know i think that's i think that's the problem because like uh, you know for for the movie i i i have no idea what the demographics are the people that like it but you know judging from the like idea of like this is is for mostly this is mostly for white people to feel better about themselves like going to help i don't i don't that's the thing that why would you I guess the real question is, like, who watches this movie and feels better about themselves <laughs> right, or better that, about anything? That's what I mean. I think that there, I can see how there are the people that watch it out of uh, some sort of sense of, well, this is the right thing to watch. This I, I'm a better person because I watch this movie and I like it. But then there are people that just watch it because they're watching a movie. And, you yeah. know, it, that's I, – I don't think that somebody – I don't think the general public sets out to watch it to feel better about themselves. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, then, it's like it's, it's it, I mean, it's, no more in the sense that it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah, it's built it, as a crowd pleaser. And like, you know, that's that is totally fine. There but built as a crowd pleaser is not an excuse to have a bad movie. It, right, it's not but, a good movie is my problem with it. Uh, it is it a bad movie? I mean, so yes. My, yeah, it, it is. It's made. So when I watch a movie, it, like, it's cartoonish. It's simplistic. Part of the part of the problem is like it's it's 2018 and we're still telling like the most basic, the most reductive version of this story. Reductive and also like spoon fed. Like it, when it, I watch, it's basically, I mean, it's insulting to watch these things. When I watch play a movie out. that is made for like stupid, this movie feels like it's not stupid, it's a wrong word to use, but it feels like it's made for lowest common denominator in the sense of it's so repetitively blatant. The signs for colors oh, only. I agree. When they pull over and all the, the people working in the field are looking at them, it's like, it, it's. 
made like with the intention of people right. saying this is how it really used to be. I mean, we like, but a, those people exist. I think that that's the, the, the okay. The then that's sad. But it is. I mean, I I I think that I mean, I this, to be fair, like, this, half of the Lakers didn't know that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. So, <laughs> I mean, did I, they even watch Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I had a couple other points. They're coming and going from a racial perspective. It really irked me and made me feel gross that the movie builds up to the first N-word. Like, I feel like that's really weird that they use all these other racial slurs and then they build up to the big climax. And it's like, well, eh. I mean, this it's, is it's my problem. I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, that's true. I, I kept forgetting that throughout. I've mentioned this. I know I mentioned this most likely to you to and, and other people um, back back when I first saw it. But part of my part of my issue with movies like this is that they want to tell these stories that are centered on race and like the ugliness that you know we've come from and hopefully have evolved beyond but they don't like they don't want to be about it like they want to say like hey it was it was kind of ugly back then and then they you know they just kind of skim over that ugliness kind of like well with the dawn character just kind of giving the snapshot of the end result to tony but it like it feels like I mean, it, the movie's not out. the The movie is clearly not out out to explore racism. It, it's more. It's just like in, interested in Tony's it's personal to journey. That but money. It's, it's just like. But it's. I mean, it's racism one hundred one. You t- you have to have it in order to get to one hundred two, one hundred three, one hundred four, one hundred five. I mean, you know, it's like I, see, I I feel I feel like that is selling the audience short. Like, I I don't think we need. See, I've been trying not to say it, but if if, I mean, we have the person we have. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's, that's a huge problem. The conversation we're having right now about this, so many people would be like, not people that listen to our podcast, of course, but like, there's so <laughs> many. not anymore. <laughs> there's people in fucking Mississippi that would listen to this and be like, what the fuck are these three people talking about? And I understand the definition of irony. Well, you're not white, but for the purposes of this analogy, you're going to be. The definition of ra- irony is white people talking about racism, but at the same time, it's like, there's just more to it. There are things that I've experienced personally in life with friends of mine and shit that are way more gritty and real than this. And to your point, I don't know if this conversation would even be happening if it didn't get all the acclaim that it did. Right, right. I agree. But I, no, I, I mean, well, I was, I was about to bring a, bring up examples that disprove my point because I was going to say like <laughs> it's the same thing. Like every couple years, you know, we get the help, we get the blind side, we get. I mean, it, you know, we get the like white white savior. This type is better of story, than the Blind Side <laughs> kind of kind of movie where it's like it, it feels like it's designed to let you know. Okay, but let's get on the white savior like, thing because it, I I remember it's hearing the pressure about this. valve that lets the white steam out. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> like, we feel yeah, better. Yeah, I but, feel but like that's it, less in play with this one. But. Right, I I remember uh, the guys from uh, Filmbusters. Uh, they did an episode where they were talking about like the white savior thing, and I I mentioned I was like, but do you know. It's like, not really. I mean, it's more like a black savior in yeah. this case. You know, it's like he's there to like the the person that changes really the most is Tony. I mean, they both change, but Tony's the like other the. I the mean, most. the the overall like the end result of the movie, which is kind of like you know white people kind of evolving their their beliefs more, kind of becoming more aware of things. It, it feels it's like it's the same thing, but the the white savior thing is is not really in play because Tony's not. No, yeah, and that's that's a misconceived. Uh thought i had coming into this i thought this was another white savior and it's not it's he certainly doesn't save him from shit he right. learns from him it's, I, it actually was the two things it was the white savior and the oh my god i wish i 
really listen to like that part. It was like the mystical black man or the, the you know, like the sage white, black yeah. man, which also doesn't apply here because he's kind of like a pretty flawed guy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Doc Shirley has his issues. So, I mean, I but don't think so that like, makes it a great movie, but at least it makes it harmless. You know, I, mean, I, I would, I, would I, I, I disagree with it being harmless, mainly, mainly because of, of my belief that it's so like it's so reductive that it, I'm like, like I mean, if it's helping somebody become more aware, then I guess it's good. But really, like this, it it's so so basic and inconsequential that I I could see people watching this and just not taking the lesson because the movie it's is the fucking story so arc that Donald Logue has in The Patriot, where he learns that black people are people just like me. I, I don't even remember if I've ever seen The Patriot or if it's I'm not just good, heard about it. But yeah. I, I remember it came out the same week in as Chicken Run, and I <laughs> I like Chicken Run a lot more than The Patriot. <laughs> but anyway, the, the point being, in Chicken Run, he too? is <laughs> man. He we owned the box office. That was. <laughs> he did. Uh, uh, the Strangers and The Incredible Hulk with both had Liv Tyler came out in this week after week, right. so they they got the they got it down. But anyway, it, <laughs> that was when we still liked Mel Gibson. <laughs> what a time! This movie is two hours and ten minutes, and like the middle hour of this is the same thing being spun yes. over and over again. Oh it, yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. just goes on and on. Like I mean, like I I take a, a mild bit of satisfaction in in that I was negative, like really negative on this movie before a lot of the acclaim like really kicked in, which, you know, the acclaim only only like magnifies my feelings. But it's not just critical acclaim because like the people like the masses love it. It did insane box office. So it I don't I feel like, you know, we can't just dismiss it as like a lot of the vitriol comes from the critical community, you know, taking issue with this, with the awards that it's gotten because it's like. No, the you know the the middle brow people that it was made for lapped it up. But the, but that's not a surprise. I mean, it's a crowd pleaser. Why wouldn't you like the a help story made that like has half a... a billion dollars? It's you know it it's understandable. And you know, Eddie and I are both I think in the same camp with the help also and finding. I it, I, I haven't seen it, but you know there, there are no good. poop jokes here. It's only Very, pizza jokes. Uh, you know, he used the word reductive. Minim, minimizes some of the real issues at hand. Just made for middle-aged white people to watch and feel better about themselves type of thing difference being i think some of uh viola davis and octavia spencer stuff and that the some of the stuff that's portrayed is a bit more they actually have the chutzpah to go ahead and show it all in that as opposed to this where it's just like the afterthought of everything but um i do have one question that i wrote down pretty early on that i have to get out of the way so so now we got to rank them green book green room Odd Life of Timothy Green, Green Lantern, Green Inferno, Green Zone, The Big Green, and Greenberg. I don't even know what the green, the what the big green, the big green. It's a Disney soccer the Disney movie. Saki movie. Saki Disney soccer movie. <laughs> I haven't With even the, heard of it. Hamilton the Babe Porter. Uh, no, I can tell you, Green Lantern goes at the bottom there. Green Inferno has Sky Fiera, so it's up there. Um, green Room is probably number one. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen. Uh, like basically, for me, this list is green room and, and log off. <laughs> <laughs> green zone probably second, just for craft. Was that the Matt Damon one? Uh, yeah, the one where like his whole story is finding out that uh, there were no weapons of mass destruction. I haven't seen Greenberg, but I feel comfortable putting that one second. That's no one bomb box, so yeah, you can. Put Ugh, that, I so. couldn't. I couldn't get through it. Tapped out like thirty minutes in, I think. Yeah. And on rewatch with green book like this movie is interminable like i i know it's it's slowly paced and repetitive but man it like it, it it's for me like it starts off pretty bad and it just keeps going and it, it 
like I've really felt beaten down by it. So we've talked about the um, tones, themes, the the internal of the movie. We, we let's talk about the external here and in the, in the performances. Okay, can we all agree? I'm sure we all agree that Viggo Mortensen. How did he get nominated? <laughs> like he is playing a cartoon. Like yeah. this, the this is probably the biggest example. Like I like you I asked guess. your uncle to do a John Travolta impression. Yeah, I it, mean your your Travoltas during the summer of Travolta were better than Viggo Mortensen's Italian <laughs> accent here. Yeah, if we're uh, you know if if we're like lobbying complaints against like you know this is the Academy picking the movie that makes them feel good about themselves, like nothing is more representative of that than Viggo here as as the lunkhead, the lovable lunkhead. Yeah, and it's like who's actually like a despicable person and basically. I I feel like really offended whenever they go through the movie and try to make it make us feel like Tony had Tony had hard, such a hard life and it's like well it's because all you do is eat yeah he <laughs> he smokes and eats constantly yeah it's like you appear to have a decent home in New York with a wife who loves you for some reason and who's two, way hotter than and, you <laughs> and two kids who are like happy to see you even though you don't like appear to have any affection for them. <laughs> Like the the biggest, or you know, early on we get that moment where the first time we see like some sort of sentiment from Tony, it's when he's attempting to write write a letter to his wife, and we find out the point of the letter is supposed to be "I miss you," but what he's actually writing is a laundry list of all the things he ate that day, and then a, a brief story about how he's put he put his wet socks on the TV to dry them off. <laughs> He is like um, Eddie Murphy's impression of an Italian person from Delirious or Raw. I can't remember which one it is, but just... Have you seen Rocky? It's a quality fucking picture. Like, I expect him to say that at some point in this. Um, and also, he lives right across the street from a movie theater. Like, he's got it all made. But yeah, he's just eating and smoking the whole time. And Yeah, he's like winning. Like, he's, he's getting 50 bucks, which is almost half of his weekly pay with Doc Shirley just in one sit-down. One, one hot dog eating contest. He, like, why wouldn't he just hustle there? And the other thing, from an acting perspective, it really, his Italian character seems really misguided in the sense of, I, it's it's, it's I mean, going more for laughs than drama at any point. It, but it's I hard think, to take seriously between the dialogue and just like the... Well, I think Ferrelli's going for laughs more often than not here. I mean... It, it, does it work? It's, not at all. Know, like, there's mean, not a legitimately funny bone in this movie's body. I... I you know, I I don't except think that the, I laughed out loud. But... Vera Farmiga as an Italian and running scared is way more believable than. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I mean, Viggo dude, Mortensen. Running here. Running Scared should get Green Book's Best Picture trophy or statue. Oh, I'm fine with that. Running Scared's fantastic, but uh, I just remember her having a particularly comical Italian accent in that, and she like they cut to her and she's like making meatballs. <laughs> uh, so I agree with that. I think Mahershala Ali is very good. For yep. what he's given, and I think you could also make the argument he's not given as much as he should be. It seems like the onus is on, or the lion's share of the movie is on Vigo Mortensen. Not by choice, it's just, it seems like Farley's like, oh, I mean, the way it's... Now say pasta magoo. Yeah, the way it's built, it's it's meant for meant to be, like, the lead-off on Vigo's, like, you know, in-memoriam reel, whenever yeah. that time comes. And, uh... The scene is really good. It's just I'm so far checked out of the movie by that point. The scene where Mahershali, if I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough, I'm not man enough, what am I? That's a that's a good line, and he delivers it well. But by that point in the movie, I was just like, eh. And also Vigo's reaction to it, like, 
all right, let's go for something to eat, you know? And... I, I think that, uh, you know, our, our usual thing, you know, if you're with the movie, obviously it works better by the time you get there. I, I don't really, I mean, I watched this like in a movie theater. It was just me and some other dude sitting like two rows ahead and then he moved halfway through the movie he moved like two rows behind me it's kind of creepy that is weird yeah it was the racism was too much for him he needed to <laughs> was it brandon curtis <laughs> uh but uh like i watched it i remember just having a fine time never would i have thought that it was gonna win best picture or best screenplay i thought i figured that uh Mahershala ali and uh was getting a nomination because he had won the previous year and uh, and I figured Viggo Morton was going for one because he was you know just over the top. But I was like Jared Leto uh, in Chapter Twenty Seven, just going for it. I mean, he's like Vigo is. I mean, he he's just kneecapped by the script. Like the only the only times I feel like his performance is legitimately good is when he gets to be quiet and you can he can just react to something. But he he's so busy eating and talking that it's like. It, it's bad, and it's really, really bad. So, based on this is my first time seeing it, as I mentioned. So, I've seen it after the, after the fact, after the fallout. Uh, both of what y'all are saying reminded me of when I saw Juno before, like I'm everything happened. Say, uh, yeah, and Juno is one million times the movie that this is. But what would I'm you saying, agree with that, Alex? Yeah, can you quantify one million times better? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. I would say Juno is a better film than this, but. What that's to say is what you're saying. Now, here. What, if, what if we put Tony Lip in the Jason Bateman role? In no, Juno? you can't take Jason Bateman no. out of Juno. It ruins it. All right, put put Vigo in the, in the Rain Wilson role. You can handle it. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's up, Fertile Myrtle? <laughs> <laughs> Who's got egos? <laughs> um, put Rain Wilson in Green Book. Also an upgrade. Yes. As Vigo? Yeah. Hell oh, yeah. yeah. I would just laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, watching him walk. I mean, he would fit the bill more. With Your people him, love this stuff. Yeah, with the, with all with the wife beaters. I mean, we've seen him in in Tony Lip attire on The Office. We know what we know what we get there. <laughs> it's true. Uh, moving along with the cast, why aren't people using my girl Linda Cardellini in more places? Dude, man, they don't. They they have no respect. I think it's it's a another in this sign case, they have no respect for the audience. I think in this case, for at least for some of us, it works as an emotional shortcut because you see her and then you're like, "Oh, it's Linda Cardellini," so you're automatically invested. Yeah. So that works for them, and then I guess if you don't know who Linda Cardellini is, it doesn't matter because the character has nothing to it. No, and yeah, it's what a, it, like you get one of you pointed out during uh, hashtag CC about how. She's worried about money, but then gets mad when he finds a job. It's yeah. like, God, why are we vilifying this woman who really has no character to her at all? Like every every time she gets mad or is on the brink of like some sort of natural reaction, Tony, you know, flashes the fifty bucks that he just won, or he does something dopey, and then she just gives him that smile. It's like Tony, <laughs> you rascal. And then at the end, where she's Dude. like, you know, fucking. Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, you know. I was here to show you the whole way, Tony. If, if this if this movie, you know, is going to sound dumb since it's based on a true story, but if this movie took place in reality after reading all those letters, she would have met Doc Shirley and been like, we're getting the hell out of here <laughs> while, while this guy is eating his fifth plate of meatball pasta. Uh, she, she was just, she would just like hug him and be like, love me, please. <laughs> love me more than you love food. So I guess wrapping it all up, it's the thing of, yeah, it definitely didn't deserve all the awards it had. 
I don't regret watching it by any stretch. Uh, it was I, I regret seeing it a second time. <laughs> I didn't feel like it was a waste of time. There are a, a, I may have a different mindset if I didn't watch it with y'all. But um there's thing the I guess the nutshell I could say putting this into just like a Amazon review the things in it that are interesting are the things that they shy away from. Yes. Here's the thing and I, I think I said at the beginning. I agree with pretty much almost all the criticism as far as like form, you know, like as far as craft, like how is the story built up? Like you know, they it's not subtle. It it doesn't really explore things in an interesting way. It's you know, it's repetitive. Fuck yeah. Like, you know, by the time we got to like the third instance of him being uh humiliated at a town, I was like, wait, well, haven't we learned anything by now? I mean, you know, uh, it's still Ali reading the script. So I go for a suit again. How many times call me the N word in the South? <laughs> how many different times can I show outrage? <laughs> uh, but uh, like, I have to teach this man that it's bad to steal. <laughs> it's not even about race. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think I just go back to it being I don't it know. Was moody. <laughs> uh, I, I think I just go back to it being harmless. I don't think I would I would have I wouldn't have watched it again if not for the podcast. But and it, you know, at the end of the day, it, as far as technically speaking, it's fine. There's some cool shots. I think. I, like, I mean, honestly, if it, if not for the fact the KFC of the sign. Yeah. Oh, okay. But like so they the, don't even like the, the KFC scene because I think that I am. I have like, like a reprehensible. Very, I don't think. And so. they double down on it and bring the fried chicken back later. <laughs> but I think oh that. But see, I think it works because no, I, 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 I think that the, I understand why you could make the argument that it's offensive, but I think that that just is a misreading of the scene. No, well, say I think the scene. I think it starts as offensive, and you have to kind of spin your way to be like, oh, no, I'm not I mean, offended by it. I just think it's poorly written and even more poorly executed well, that's okay so if it doesn't work for you as a joke then i understand that but i've seen the argument a lot like online where people are like this is so offensive he's basically saying that black people like uh fried chicken i was like no the scene is saying no, he's that not everybody likes saying fried chicken. It. he's literally saying it like you're your people your people's food right but that's that's the idiot <laughs> character saying in the it. next scene right but that's the joke is no, that even the person who doesn't think it's gonna like it's not about him being black it's the fact that he's human it's like who doesn't but like then the next it, scene it, it like... starts with with you're black and you don't like this food and then then it, it goes beyond to like everybody likes chicken but that's not where it starts but then the the payoff to it is when they ask the other black people what food he wants and they make him fried chicken to imply that all black people like fried chicken. Right, but I think the movie is very clearly portraying that these are all stupid white people, you know, taking that. I don't think that you're you're supposed to say like, oh, the black people said you should make him this fried chicken. It's like that's what they said. The white people said that. I oh, mean, this, okay. this is a really dumb like old dude that's like we asked the help and oh. they said you know. Okay. Uh, well, regardless. Yeah, I mean, it's and, like and please don't take this as me putting down fried chicken. I fucking love fried chicken. I. I Love fried chicken. I just can't eat it anymore. But you know, <laughs> because of this movie, <laughs> uh, Killer I, I Joe. Just, I just can't. Yeah, that was a sick reference in the first half. By the way, you kind of beat me to it. I, I could see where your mind was going. It's like fuck. <laughs> uh, I wasn't even finished. We're like Killer Joe, <laughs> and then the Herzlali said, "Now grab my ass, Tony." <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, that it's, it's just silly. Chicken. It's if I can like when you do that, especially in this day and age, a scene like that, you're just asking for criticism and problems. So it's like, why do it? I mean, they, I mean, they, they obviously know it's a loaded image, and they're they're just not they're just not insightful enough as writers or sharp enough as writers to spin it into anything that's legitimately funny or or compelling. And I can't I can't say it's offensive because like I don't I'm never going to pretend to know what it's right. like to be like from that perspective but to me again it's just poorly written and it's really silly and it it, it but it's okay to be i mean i think I mean, it's okay it's, for a movie to be silly it's like this it's, huge gap it in comes tone. back to it again it's just like we're still doing jokes about black people liking fried chicken yeah like but i think that in this case it's a subversion of the joke that's no, the it, whole point that's you know it, the joke is not oh there's a black guy and he likes fried chicken the the point is like oh there's a black guy that didn't think that he was you know that he thought that he was too good to eat fried chicken but in the end everybody likes fried chicken i mean that's just i i think that there's a distinction there uh it's not like they rolled up to a town where like there were a bunch of black people eating fried chicken and then then he goes like oh, see i told you instead what happens is like white people served them white chi- uh, fried chicken that's not the most important or like that's not the the hill I would die on for that movie. There's other things I would point to and be like, no, this was worse. It was just I think that's the one scene I've heard talked about the most. Exactly. That's I forget the... someone at the Oscars made a joke about like how unrealistic it was because a black guy didn't like fried chicken or something like that. And so again, just playing <laughs> off the joke with another joke. It it all is what it is. It's um there's gotta be a movie that's one best picture that I liked le- or I thought less of than this movie. Can you think of a Races, a movie about racism that was crash that was not radar oh. that, was, that was pg-13 that was better than this movie that you would show to like a 13 14 year old shit maybe I'll, maybe a little uh, pg-13 you know 13 i mean it's not like there's like a huge collection of movies i can't think of one but i think that there is I, I keep mean, I, I keep bringing rather... up I keep bringing up Black Clansman because that's what it was against. And yeah, if we're sticking to to PG thirteen movies, like it's, I mean, like The Blind Side and The Help. I know I said those aren't good. I think they're better than this, but something like Hidden Figures, I think, is better than. Oh, Hidden Figures is great. Hit, hit, I would I would go point to that without you know being able to research and find a better option. <laughs> yeah, at the off moment. the top of my head, I'm blanking. Um, Hidden Figures is a great answer, actually. I I I love Hidden Figures. Um, and he'll tell, yeah, it's like five times the movie this one is. But <laughs> is it un- unnecessarily two hours and ten minutes long? Eh, might be two hours. It has a great Kevin Costner performance as as the white person. <laughs> I can, off the top of my head, think of a whiter movie that won Best Picture in the past decade. The Artist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Fuck that movie. From this, from this, I know Mahershala Ali, and I know Viggo Mortensen, and probably, for better or for worse, Peter Farley are going to have more work. Where the fuck is Jean Dujardin? <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck the artist. I know we've talked about it before. He's in The Wolf of Wall Street. Ooh. For like Dude, 10 minutes. The Wolf of Wall Street's better than this. Whoa. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and it's even shorter than this movie. <laughs> not in the literal sense and not in the metaphysical sense of like how you right. feel watching that movie we're, we're coming back here after game of thrones and we're doing wolf of wall street <laughs> we'll catch y'all on thursday <laughs> okay but i i did have one one last question for you guys bring it home eddie okay here we go black book green book 
Little Black Book, Book of Eli, Book of Life, Jungle Book, John Favreau's Jungle Book, The Book Thief, uh, Jane Austen Book Club, Book Club, Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, Erotic Witch Project 2, Book of Seduction. <laughs> God damn it, I had it and then I do keep listing movies, now it's gone. There, there's a clear winner in that one. Isn't there a Book of Life? Oh, Book of I, Eli. I said Book of Life. Okay. Book of right Eli. Right after Book yeah, of book Eli. Of, book of Eli. Fuck that movie, dude. What's better than Book of Eli in that list? I think Black Jungle Book. book? Black Book. That's second. I would go. <laughs> book of Eli is the one with Denzel, right? Yeah. At yeah. the end where he's blind and yep. fucking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> Impossible! <laughs> Didn't see it coming. <laughs> fucking Tom Waits is in that too, is the pawn shop owner. All right. Mila Kunis has the pristine sexy sidekick there we go bringing it back that 70s show cast members we had donna's dad and now bringing it back with mila kunis in the book of eli so i feel like we could be here for a long time talking about this movie it clearly solving tangles many real emotions uh but for now let's give a let's finish with rating for better or for worse that was green book uh rating c minus we'll do a c dead middle c I gave it I gave it three stars on my letterbox. Uh saying it was alright. I had a good time. Eddie, what did you rate it? A D. For D's. <laughs> For D's. <laughs> no, I I strongly thought about F. Can you say one nice thing about Green Book? Um Mort- Mortensen's performance is, is decent when he's not talking. Linda Cardellini? No, she's bad. I mean, she's not. She's not bad. She that, that's a nothing spot. Like I, I don't think of Linda Cardinelli at all in, when I watch this movie. Even as I'm seeing her on the screen, I'm like, okay, fulfill your you know useless role here. What is this Linda Cardellini shaped uh, yeah. white spot next to? Big like, I know, I know, I've seen her used to much better effect before, but what is this? <laughs> All right, so that was Green Book. That was something. That was quite a Sunday afternoon. Um, wrapping up here with our plugs, as always, the festive years provide our opening and closing tracks. Uh, last stand in summer of 99. Who, who designs our logo? <laughs> Hans Rodgieser. Thank you. From the podcast Nacion Combi, a podcast about Peruvian stuff in Spanish. Listen to it. Uh, if you know Spanish, if you want to practice your Spanish, um, if you need a logo or you need comics or you want to tell him how much you like his podcast, uh, you can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or email him at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Excellent. For plugs, uh, I'll kick us off this week. I uh, just got a wild hair up my backside, threw on Source Code, perfect 90-minute movie. Oh, man, Source Code, so good. That, that's why I want to plug it. It's I'm hard-pressed to think of many sci-fi movies that hit right at the 90-minute mark that do more with that much time and succeed on as many levels as that movie does. It's... Fucking great. And uh, anyway, Michelle Monaghan, especially this viewing of that, because anyone who's listened to this podcast or just talked to me knows I love Jake Gyllenhaal to a fault. But she's so good in that. And um, yeah, just a great movie. Great script. 90 Watch minutes is just the maddest rule. That's right. Enforced. On the, the fucking money. <laughs> and that guy that got to play the the bomber, the crazy terrorist guy, that guy's probably never going to do anything again. But he fucking nailed it in that <laughs> as this creepy ass white dude. So source code. Chef's kiss. Eddie, as a guest of this podcast, do you have any plugs to make? Yeah, I've been saving them up since my last appearance, so buckle up. <laughs> um, first on Netflix, the the Tim Robinson sketch show, I think you should leave. Super hilarious, very absurd, um, you know, 
go watch it, go laugh, go have a good time. Of movies I've seen recently, um, you know, I did enjoy Endgame, but uh, as Julio don't, will Don't know, steal my plug. Ant- Ant-Man and the Wasp is the crown jewel of the MCU for me. <laughs> it's the only one I've seen more than once, and it's delightful. And it's on Netflix, our new overlords. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I think you should leave. Um, I, like I mentioned, I literally finished watching Endgame and came to record basically. And so while on one hand, I'm still, he still processing it. An oxygen tank hooked up to him when he got here. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I have no problem giving it five stars. It's just everything it needed to be and more. It's just the culmination of, you know, 10 plus years of Marvel movies and, I love. I'm not gonna spoil it. It's, it's you know too early to spoil it, but um, I love that they just a hundred percent did not give a shit anymore. They did not even attempt to recap anything. It was like, if you're here, oh. it's because you watch all twenty. They didn't movies. try to hold your hand. Nope, not at all. There That's was how it should be. It's because by then, you know, the only way that the movie is gonna work for you, really, on the emotional level that they want to work on you, is if you've watch these characters grow and go through their shit through all these movies. So the movie's three hours long and none of the three hours are spent recapping stuff or telling stuff that we already know. Uh, even something as recent as Captain Marvel, you know, Captain Marvel is not even, it's still in theaters. It's not even streaming yeah, it's anywhere. Fresh. There is a not on the Rotten Tomatoes sense. No, it is though. Actually. <laughs> it is. Uh, they don't even have like the connective tissue from that movie to this one. They're just like, if you didn't watch Captain Marvel, you're shit out of luck. You don't know what's going on when Captain Marvel shows up, which is great. Uh, so I, I thought that was that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, I mean, at this point, me telling you to watch it is not gonna make you watch it. You know, if you you already know if you're watching Endgame or not. Uh, I'm gonna set aside a weekend, catch up on everything. I, do you have to let me know when you're watching the big ones because I, I want to be here at least for some of it, uh, just to see your reaction. Yeah. And we'll watch Endgame together. We'll hold hands. Anything else? Just Endgame? Just, just Endgame. I'm exhausted, dude. That's, that's, I, I can't think of anything else. Who's going to go home and sleep for 12 hours after I this? can't. There's a Game of Thrones at 8, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Apparently a lot of people are dying, so... All right. Edwin, always a pleasure. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Julio, until next time, take care. Uh, for our faithful listeners, as always, we appreciate you. Giving us a listen here on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That son of a